negligee. When you hear the term, it evokes thoughts of sheer, diaphanous, lacy, sexy, and sensual. Something see-through that gets your heart racing. Enough to cover and tease, but still able to reveal and show off. It's tantalizing and fascinating all at once. Your pulse starts to race, and you are expectant of an amazing experience. It's evocative, expressive, seductive, and can be a little naughty. The latest from Victoria's Secret? No, but an apt description of the sheer mesh overlay of the robust and ample V10 motor of the Carrera GT. This is Porsche, never substituted. I'm Will Veach, and the term negligee is what Porsche designer Harm Legai used to describe the cover of the mid-engine Carrera GT's power plant. It's an appropriate analogy of one of the most exciting cars that Porsche has ever produced. The Carrera GT is not only a joy to look at, but also one that is a pleasure to hear. Let's talk about Harm Legai briefly, as his importance to Porsche cannot be overstated. The Dutch designer was born in 1946 and has worked for such companies as Simca, Porsche, BMW, and Ford, as well as collaborations with other manufacturers. His resume includes models such as the highly popular Ford Escort and Sierra and the now-collectible BMW Z1 in 1989. Go take a look at the Z1 from BMW. The car was very much ahead of its time, with electronic doors that slid vertically into the door sills. It's kind of cool, actually. That car sold only 8,000 units and was too futuristic and expensive for BMW to produce. Lucky for Porsche. You see, Legai worked for Porsche twice. The first time was in 1971, where he oversaw the design of the 924 up until 1977 when he left for Ford. And then in 1989, he came back to Porsche as the chief of design. It was a marriage that yielded such children as the 968, 993, 996, Boxster, Cayenne, and of course, the Carrera GT. If you think of all those models, other than the 911 models, such as the 996 and 993, they all have a unique look and create a certain feeling. It was that eye for thinking outside the box that enabled Porsche to have the success that it did when it was in a serious downturn. The roots of the Carrera GT go back to the racing days of events such as the 24 Hours of Le Mans. In 1998, Porsche was not as competitive as they would have liked during the GT racing season because they had opted for a turbocharged engine that had issues with power. Porsche felt that a naturally aspirated motor would produce greater results. So, what did they do? They announced that for the 1999 season, they'd sit out and stop for one year to develop the LM2000, which was a GT1 two-seater that had a naturally aspirated V10. Through a few setbacks and some delays, the Porsche Type 980 was available for testing in early November of 1999. By all accounts, the car was excellent and would be a great competitor for its debut at the 2024 Hours of Le Mans. But just three weeks later, Porsche scrapped the entire project. Author Mike Cotton said at the time that many people working at Weissach have been betrayed by the U-turn on motorsport, not least of the dozens of engineers and technicians who have put their hearts and souls into the creation of a new Challenger, a vehicle that might well have been Porsche's 17th Le Mans winner. There was speculation that if Ferry Porsche were still alive, that this would not have been an issue. Cotton continues, 
Porsche has become a vastly different company to the one that Ferry Porsche knew, in which the accountants have finally triumphed over the engineers. In 1999, it seems profit comes before pride. Harsh, but seemingly true at the time. Porsche's boss, Dr. Vita King, in 2000 said that, What difference does it make if Porsche goes to Le Mans and wins 17 times instead of 16 times? Who's next to us? All very true as Ferrari was Porsche's closest competitor with only eight victories. So Porsche would have to wait a little longer to get back to Le Mans. But engineers maintain that the LM2000, or Porsche 980, was a really good racing car. According to Carl Lundvigsen in Porsche, excellence was expected. Porsche's chief did not back away from a commercial fight in the slightest and was actually a pretty competitive character. Supercars were really making a showing, with the likes of Mercedes teaming up with McLaren to produce the SLR, Ford and Aston Martin with the new Vanquish, BMW Z8, and of course Lamborghini. But the icing on the proverbial cake was the planned 500-horsepower W12 engine two-seater from Volkswagen. Well, that was enough for Dr. Vita King. There was a line in the sand that the other car makers dared to cross, and Porsche was not going to take that lying down. An edict was issued by the Porsche head, and it laid down the directive in no uncertain terms. We have to show the world that we're still the best in sports cars. Let's design a superb top-of-the-line car in a high-priced segment, which in its style and technology would fit into the Porsche range. It can also showcase our abilities and engineering. So we have another thing to thank VW for. Porsche wanted a top-end sports car that they had not produced since the release of the ahead-of-its-time 959 back in the mid-80s. So where did they turn for inspiration? Well, the canceled project of the LM2000 or Project 980. What better way to showcase the direction Porsche was taking than with an actual race car? So who did they turn to? Enter Harm Lagai. Using a detuned, naturally aspirated V10 of the LM2000, Lagai had a starting point for the design of the car. Porsche didn't want to make it look like another 911, and since the brand doesn't really have any identifying marks like a distinctive grille, the car had to be unique, but also recognizable as a Porsche. In creating a Super Porsche, the team turned to the California West Coast studio and veteran designer of the Boxster team, Grant Larson, who we talked about in a previous episode. The car was a different beast to work on because of the vast technical requirements that it was to have. One thing that Porsche does not generally do is show a vastly different car at concept than they do for production, so the design took a little longer to create. Finally, in March of 2000, the design was completed. This is where Harm Lagai described the fine mesh engine grille as a negligee. The name negligee came from me to cover the engine, he said. I like names that are analogies, metaphors, and plays on words. If you've seen one, you'll know that his description is spot on. I do want to point out that the target top of the Carrera GT could be stored in the rear compartment, not unlike the 914, but other than having four wheels, that's pretty much where the similarities end. Where did the name Carrera come from? After all, Porsche already had the Spanish word for race included in several other cars. The 356 and 911 both had Carreras, and GT was essentially Gran Turismo, which Porsche used for racing events and some few road models. 
The agonizing decision was made to combine Carrera and GT as it would reflect the sportiest of all Porsches. The Paris Auto Show in August of 2000 saw the debut of the Carrera GT to a stunned audience. The car company had managed to keep the new flagship a closely guarded secret, and a video of Walter Rural zooming through the Nevada desert was enough to derive comparisons to an all-out actual race car made for the street. One thing to note is that the Carrera GT had to be a moneymaker for Porsche. The company was putting several of its eggs in the development of the Cayenne SUV, and Porsche needed to ensure that the Carrera GT would be a seller. There needed to be a smaller segment that would want to and could buy the car as opposed to a mass audience. A price point was decided on, which landed somewhere between $300,000 and $500,000, with a final price to be determined later. Hans Reitel, head of Porsche sales, had a saying he liked to use. With 12, the first kiss. With 22, the first job. And with 42, the first Porsche. Well, he later added, with 52, the first Carrera GT. The sales team worked with dealers and potential buyers all across the world and eventually landed on a price of about 350 to 400,000 US dollars. But the car would need to sell about 900 units to cover the cost of development. Once it was clear that the sales would exceed 900 cars, the green light was given to start production. Some modifications were made to the original prototype, such as the transmission was switched from an automatic to a six-speed manual, and the high-res display originally used was to be changed to analog gauges. The reason to remove a lot of the technical gadgetry was to conserve weight. Legay said that Porsche wanted to give the driver as close as possible to a full-blown racetrack experience on the road. Finally, the car was tested on a communist-era airstrip just east of Berlin that was two and a half miles long and could handle the tremendous speed that was expected of the Carrera GT. The result? 0 to 62 in 3.5 seconds, 0 to 100 in 6.4 seconds, and a top speed of a whopping 208 miles per hour. All of this with a manual gearbox coming from 605 horsepower. With production of the cars primed and ready to go, the Carrera GT was officially launched at the Geneva Airport in March of 2003 and then was center stage at the Monaco Grand Prix in May. The final price would end up being $440,000. Comments from the public were swift. Things like a 600-horsepower Boxster or a tricky clutch. But what made it somewhat difficult also made it amazing. Car and drivers said, the exotic 448,605 horsepower Carrera GT is arguably the finest sports car the company has ever produced. Every time we added some throttle, the car stalled or we smoked the tires, pulling into dense traffic produces sweaty palms. They then went on to say that the car is a pure joy that makes you glad to have to shift the old-fashioned way. I like Harm Guy's initial description. As he said, it is indeed a negligee. But underneath the seductive lace and tantalizing trim is a sensual beast that is begging to show you what she's got. Thanks for listening. Please share and tell your friends, family, and fellow Porsche lover. I also want to hear from you. I'm collecting Porsche stories for future podcasts and would love to hear how your love affair with Porsche began. You can email me at will at neversubstituted.com. Support our podcast by going to neversubstituted.com 
and check out our shop, links, and some very cool stuff, plus a preview of next week's show. Special thanks to Dennis Schrader Photography in Austin, Texas. You can see some amazing automotive prints and artwork at FastLanePhotoWorks.com. Also, a lot of the information from this podcast is from Porsche. Excellence was expected by Carl Lundvigsen. I'm Will Veach. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to see you again soon.